Hey everyone, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. I am your host, Rachel Mansfield, and I am also now a cookbook author of Just the Good Stuff, which officially came out in stores and online everywhere on February 25th of this year. Somebody pinch me. I cannot get over the amount of support that you guys have given me for this book launch so far. I truly cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for tagging me in your stories when your book was arriving. A lot of you were like chasing the like Amazon truck when they were delivering the box to your home. It like put the biggest smile on my face. And then when I started seeing the recipes being made in your kitchen, I don't know, it was like this weird feeling. And it's crazy because I, you know, I share recipes on my blog and Instagram and I'm I see you guys make those often and to see you guys make the recipes from my book though is just this whole other kind of crazy. I cannot thank you enough for investing in my brand and I know you get a lot of free content from me on my blog and Instagram and even on here and to know that you guys like will invest in a product and something that I'm putting out there is it's just so, so, so special to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And please keep tagging me in the recipes because I love, love seeing which ones are your favorites. Like the ginger scallion turkey burgers with that coconut peanut sauce. That is one of the most popular recipes that you guys are making, which I never would have thought. So it's been really cool to see which ones resonate best with you guys and which ones you love and especially the gluten-free classic chocolate chip cookies. You guys know your girl loves her cookies. So I saved the best cookie recipe that I have made in my kitchen for that book. And in case you haven't gotten the book yet, don't worry. The best part about putting out a cookbook is it's not going anywhere. So if you want to get it for your birthday or holiday or whatever, I always link to it on my site. You can find it anywhere books are sold. And if you do enjoy the book, please, if you feel so inclined to leave an honest review on Amazon, that would mean so much to me. And I know I'm feel like I'm constantly asking for reviews now between reviewing the podcast and now the book, but you know, it really helps like get the word out about both the book and the podcast, leaving reviews on Amazon about the cookbook and then over on iTunes about the podcast. So thank you guys so much for doing that. And really, really, really thank you. Truly. It means the world to me. So in today's episode, I am chatting with Kelly Levesque, which the timing of this episode to come out is absolutely perfect. When I'm recording this um, intro, I'm actually about to head to LA in a couple of days for my cookbook tour um, stop in LA and also for Expo West. But I'm co-hosting the event with Kelly Levesque over at Room and Board in Culver City. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to meet so many of you in LA and then also meet a lot of you at Expo West a couple of days later. And I'm going to be seeing some of my close friends that live in the area, trying some new restaurants and enjoying some quality time with my mom and dad, which I really have not been able to do since giving birth to Ezra. I have not left Ezra for more than 30 hours for my friend Lisa's wedding uh, back in November. So this should be pretty interesting leaving him Monday through Friday. His nanny is like, "Uh, Rachel, are you going to be okay? And I think it's going to be okay because I'm not like going to like a beach or laying by a pool all day. There's a lot of things going on for work. So hopefully that'll be pretty distracting, but it's going to be really, really weird leaving him. And I'm already missing him so much just thinking about this. So anyways, back to this episode, the Kelly episode. I'm super excited this is coming out in conjunction really with the book tour event, because those of you who weren't able to join us in LA, 
you're going to be able to hear another awesome conversation that Kelly and I have together actually when she was here in New York for her book tour event. So for those of you who don't know Kelly, Kelly Levesque is an absolutely amazing, smart, extremely talented, she knows her shit, holistic nutritionist. She's a celebrity health coach. She's a two-time best-selling author of both Body Love and Body Love Every Day. And Kelly knows her shit, you guys. Like she is all about those five, four smoothies. She understands food and the science and what we need to fuel our bodies. In this episode, she walks us through the basics of nutrition and talking about a lot about like health trends and what she buys into, what she doesn't buy into. We talk all about how she really built her career. She's a hustler, everyone. She is not someone who's just like handed this awesome career in a silver platter. She really knows how to like, you know, roll up her sleeves, get her hands dirty and really pursue her dreams, which I really, really admire her for. We also talk a lot about her birth story, which is something she hasn't really opened up about anywhere else. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. And you'll you'll actually hear, I was getting pretty teary-eyed when Kelly was telling us the story. And I really, really just want to thank Kelly for opening up with everyone. And I think it's so important to talk about like our vulnerabilities when it comes to both, you know, conceiving babies when we are pregnant and post-pregnancy and labor and all the things because that is how we can connect and learn from one another. And it also, it makes us feel less alone to know that like we're not the only ones going through something. No one's experience in anything of their life is absolutely perfect. And I know a lot of the time it can look like everything's perfect from looking at Instagram and watching Instagram stories, but no one's life is perfect. And I really, really applaud Kelly for opening up about this. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you do, please rate and review the podcast. I love when you share it on your Instagram stories. It really helps spread the word. And also, it helps me see which podcast episodes you guys love the most. And I'm doing a lot of podcast planning for the next few months. So hit me up if you have any dream guests that you want to hear or any specific topics and I can look for the guests for us. Please, please let me know. And before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Primally Pure Skincare. Now, for those of you who have been following along on Instagram for a while now, you know Primally Pure is my jam. It is my go-to for deodorant, it is my go-to for a lot of my facial oils and Ezra's body soap and a lot of their like body butters and skin butters, and it's all like non-toxic, organic. You can trust the quality of the ingredients of what they're giving us. And it also is just skincare products that work. And recently they launched their new masks. And as soon as I saw that one of the masks is like a plumping mask, yeah, plumping, aka it's like making my skin look like I'm 10 years younger. And I don't know if it's like a placebo effect or what, but I really, really believe that these skin masks work, you guys. They sell a mask trio over on their site on primallypure.com and they have a soothing one, a clarifying one, and a plumping one. The plumping one is definitely my favorite just because my goal is always to like stimulate a lot more collagen production and like cell renewal and, you know, put off Botox as long as I can, even though, you know, one day I'm sure I'm going to bite the bullet. But this mask works. I absolutely love it. And it's made with ingredients like raw honey and like clays and oils and there's no fragrance. It's all with like essential oils, like from Jasmine. And it's so, so, so amazing. The quality of the ingredients that they use are just, I'm, I applaud you, Primally Pure. You guys are so awesome. And one of the best parts about this ad is that I have an exciting promo code for you guys. So you can get 10% off your order with the code RACHEL, 
R-A-C-H-L. And I link to all this in the show notes too. So no worries if you forget. Um, and you can stock up on all of the goods. They have stuff for men. They have stuff for babies. They have stuff for absolutely anyone and everyone. The charcoal deodorant is my personal favorite. And I also love using their lip balms. The cocoa one tastes like I'm eating chocolate and it's just to die for. They even have some dry shampoo. They have like an everything spray. They have some bath salts. They really have everything that you need. And, and all their stuff is sold exclusively online. And if you use my code RACHEL, you can get 10% off your order. So thank you, Primely Pure, for sponsoring this episode. Now let's dive into my chat with Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Rach. <laughs> we are sitting here in Kelly's very trendy and cute and cozy. I do feel like we're actually camping, though, now that you said <laughs> that. Her hotel room here in New York for your cookbook tour round two. I, sorry, you don't consider it a cookbook tour, right? Um, I it, mean, it's a... Like, how, what is the category of your books? Well, it's a, I don't like to be called a diet book, so I'd rather be called a cookbook. And there Amazing. are hundreds of recipes in the in the book, so let's call it a cookbook. I would say like diet... It, not diet, but like wellness and lifestyle cookbook with yeah. all the tips that we all like want and crave. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and carving out at some time to chat with us. You, when I posted on my Instagram stories the other night that you were coming on, I had like an influx of requests from topics that people wanted to talk to you about. So I hope I can address everything. Um, but I was so excited because you are a very unique guest compared to the other guests that I've had on so far. I haven't had anyone really from like a nutritional standpoint uh, right now. I had like Dr. Will Cole. But other than that, it's been mostly like business CEOs and founders and like fertility stories and everything else. But I did a lot of stalking on you in the last <laughs> few days, one of my specialties before the podcast, because I always like to make sure that what we're talking about is unique compared to most interviews. Um, and I do want to touch heavily upon like, you know, your perspective and outlook on nutrition as a whole, because that is like your bread and butter, what you're known for. But there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about that you haven't spoken about, like motherhood and really building your business. And I know you and I can relate in the sense where we're both juggling, like becoming moms and everything. So we're going to get into a little, we're going to get into topics you haven't necessarily touched upon in too many interviews. So I hope that's okay. I love that. No, let's, let's talk about new stuff. Yay. So, but I want, first I like all my guests to open up and kind of share how they got to where they are today. Because when I look at your feed or when I say like, Kelly Levesque, Be Well by Kelly, like you say, Fat Four Smoothie. Yeah. And I know there's so much more to like what it took to get there. So yeah. start from the beginning. Sure. Um, so before I started my consulting practice in LA, I was working in cancer and genetics. I had an eight-year career in the medical field. Um, but always loved health and nutrition, was always data mining PubMed and looking at research and trying to understand like how I should be eating. I read all the diet books. I read all the health magazines. I read all the blogs. Um, but whenever I had questions, I always went back to the research. And so I became that person probably from even in college where my girlfriends would start to ask like, oh, what are you eating? Or what are you making? Or I would just you know, I sort of was on the trends and on the newest research and really trying to just help my friends. And then one day, one of my best friends was like, I'm really annoyed. You keep talking about health and nutrition all the time. <laughs> like, this is your passion. Like, go out and start your own business. And I had actually pushed my friend Angela, 
we were best friends and we lived together and um, I had pushed her to start her own uh, like event production company because she was working for an event produ- production company and she was like the visionary. Like she just made these beautiful events, beautiful weddings, beautiful like parties. And she went out on her own and she's successful. She's actually throwing my launch party here to- tonight. Oh my God, that's amazing. Uh-huh. And um, so she pushed me back to go start my own gig and I started it as a side hustle um, in 2012. And how old were you when you started this? Oh, geez. Count. <laughs> um, I was 29. Okay. Yeah. And what's, when you started, did you start like posting on Instagram or like what was you like starting this? Yeah. So I had gone back to school at the end when she pushed me. I was like, okay, I'll go back to school and start really digging into whether I can make this happen. Um, so I went back to school and in the first six months of school, they were like, hey, start like, consulting with friends or like doing health histories and like helping people and like doing case studies. And a lot of people in school like didn't do anything. They didn't put up a website. They didn't start an Instagram. They were just like scared. I mean, it's it's really scary to start your own thing and like start something new. You know, you're going to be judged. People are going to be like, this is a hobby. What is she doing? Um, But I didn't let it get me down. And I like put up my own website and like started my Instagram. And if I go all the way back to the beginning of Be Well by Kelly, it's like, weird horrible filters and like I was say, what was do you remember what your first post was um i remember posting like some kind of i think it was like cowboy salsa it was like black beans <laughs> and tomatoes and onions like you know yeah. one of those and and it was funny like i just like look back and i'm like what was i into back then and um and it's you know whatever you're gonna be judged when you start something new and people are gonna be like what are, what are they doing but i just I kept at it and I just kept chipping away. It's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And, and was it called Be Well by Kelly? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, so it's always been called Be Well by Kelly. And it's, it was really like, I was really trying to start a consulting practice, you know? And the way for me to like get eyes on my business was like through Instagram and sharing food. And so it's funny because sometimes people are like, she's a wellness blogger. And I'm like, I've never blogged once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I, what I, does the term blogger really mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but I do share things on Instagram and I do see clients in person. And so what happened was, is it was a three year side hustle from 2012, the summer of 2012 to September of 2015. Mm-hmm. And I finally felt comfortable to leave my corporate job and my 401k and my company car and all the things, all the comforts. Yeah. And it's crazy because I left it when my husband had left being an attorney. So my husband was a big corporate attorney and I was like, managing the eight West Coast states and had like a crazy team under me and like doing all these things. And all of a sudden we were both like, yeah, we hate our jobs or we don't like necessarily hate our jobs, but we have passion in other places yeah. and we're going to take those chances. And our parents were like, what are you doing? Did you make enough money to kind of like make up for the fact that you were leaving all these things? Like um, I'm not including the car and like all yeah. the other things. No, but- I didn't replace my income until about, uh, I want to say it was probably like, even 20 end of 2017 early 2018 that's tough. That's, that's a long time yeah i don't think people realize what it took like my husband a corporate attorney makes multiple six figures and in the role i was in it was like this it was it was this like around the same you know oh so gosh. we had the safety net of like we could have started a family immediately we could have yeah. bought a house in orange county we could have like done all these things that we were gonna like check off the boxes and then we both went like no and we're to the to this day we've been in the same apartment for eight years i don't have nightstands we shared a car for like three years um 
Chris rode the bus for a while, which is like so crazy to think about. In LA. In LA. And people are like, I know that there was a bus in LA. I never thought about it. No, like seriously. Like he was like, if he had a meeting with, because he's trying to be a writer. So if he had a meeting when we, we have two cars now, um, but, but back then for two years, we had one like junky Toyota Tacoma that my dad, so my dad has a towing company and he does like auto auctions and he was we sold our cars because we were like, okay, we got to put some money in the bank for like rent and stuff. And my dad was like, I could get you one of like the junkers from my yard. And we were like, okay. There was literally like oh a cord gosh. coming out of like, coming out of the dashboard. Was it like a rolly window? Uh, <laughs> really? It was a rolly window. <gasps> and it had oh, one of I those like it. aftermarket radios that like barely worked. Nothing plugged into it. Like, if you wanted to play an iPod, you'd have to put like one of the cassette tapes in that connected to a cord that connected to your phone. Like it was that old school. And so I just don't think people realize like the sacrifices, the look and just be like, oh my God, like she just has this life. And I'm like, whoa, you have no idea. Well, that's something that bothers me. And it's like not anyone's fault because when you look at like a grid on your screen, you're not- It's a highlight reel. Exactly. Like, you know, you're not, we're not out there sharing. Like I'm not sharing like we couldn't afford to like pay our rent like when we were living in Chelsea. Like it's hard. And like when you're building a business, it does, you don't just go from like zero to a thousand overnight. Like it takes years to build that practice and like the accreditation and like, yeah, especially like quality content. And that's why you both did it at the same time. So Chris, what, what is, what type of writer is he? Is he help with your cookbooks? Oh, so this is the crazy part. So he, um, he left to write a screenplay. He wrote a screenplay. He shopped oh, cool. it. It, um, yeah, crazy. He wrote a complete screenplay. It's like, it's this amazing story. Um, but it resembled a story that was literally getting all these awards at Sundance like right when he finished it and it was crushing like heartbreaking oh because he shopped it around they're like it's a phenomenal script you're a phenomenal writer but it's too it resembles this movie that just got all these awards and like it'll be a few years before this is even something that will be purchased because it's it's like almost the same storyline and you don't make any money off of that then you're no. just like putting your blood sweat and tears into something exactly so then at the same time I was working on Body Love and I had like um, been put with a co-writer to like make sure that everything was sound and like my grammar and spelling and like flow Mm -hmm. of the book and everything. And it was not jiving. And so basically at the same time, it wasn't working out with my co-writer. It was not based on something we were doing with my book, but she had something going on with a different book that was just like not great. And I didn't want to I didn't want to really be a part of that. Okay. So, um, like legal things. And I was just like, this is, this is nerve wracking. And like, I just, I want to like cut ties and do everything on my own. And, um, and my editors and agents were like, that's cool. And I'm like, I'm going to bring my husband in on this and we're going to rewrite the, almost the whole entire book. Oh my gosh. Uh huh. And, um, so we did, and it was for the better because I really am proud of body love and, um, I got into the weeds even like 10 times more and um and it's just way it it's just what I wanted it to be at the end. And how, how did you get your first cookbook deal? Your first book deal in general? Like how did that come about? I cold emailed about 12 agents here in New York. I was yeah, coming. So this is the shit that people need to hear. Like no one just like like dropped off a, a cookbook deal on you <laughs> when you were laying in bed one day. Yeah, no, you hustle for that. And um, we were coming out to New York over Thanksgiving to visit some friends who were at Columbia Business School because we had this this period of time where everyone in California like graduated from USC, UCLA, whatever. Chris went to UCLA, I went to USC. Everyone's in LA working. And then uh, a couple years later, everyone's like applying to business school. 
And so some of our friends came out here to New York for, to Columbia. And so we're like, oh, let's go visit, whatever. Yeah. And knowing that I was coming out here, I had sat down and had coffee with a girl named Ann Sage of City Sage. She's like an interior okay. designer. She had a book that was like published and um, available at West Elm. And I took her to coffee. I was like, how'd you get your book deal? What'd yeah. you do? And she just was like, oh, I met an agent and there's like so many ways to do it. Self-publish, do your proposal on your own, like meet with an agent, pitch your idea and then do everything. And I was like, I like homework. I'm going to do that final thing. I'm going to pitch myself to agents, find an agent and then craft my proposal and then pitch it. And so I cold emailed like a dozen or more probably agents and I got like three responses back or five responses and I got three in-person meetings. Okay. That's not bad though. Those aren't bad odds. Yeah. Um, and so really it's about that first email, right? Like how do you craft it? Are you going to get a response? Yeah. You never know. Um, so I met with, I met with two and then one of the agents that I was supposed to be meeting with, um, she was on bed rest. And so timing was a little bit wrong. Yeah. Um, ended up with Efa Reese Glendell at Foundry. And um, she was like, I believe in you. You know, sometimes agents are like, you need 100,000 people on your mailing list or you need oh so many people on Instagram. And like back when I sold my book, I had less than 25,000 people following me on Instagram. I didn't have a bunch of celebrity names that I could call on. Yeah. It was like, she like bet on me. You know, that's still your agent. Mm -hmm. right? That's amazing. I'm still my agent today. She was like, no, we can do this. Like you have a different message and this is interesting. And yeah, let's do it. So um, she called me like the week I got home and was like, I had some conversations with big publishing houses and there are opportunities for next year, March, because my first book was supposed to come out in March. I need a proposal on my desk in two weeks. Oh, my and I God. need you in New York in three. And so I, I think I know the exact date. She called me on December 18th. I was driving to Mammoth <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And then we flew out in January yeah. and then it was snowing crazy and we got snowed in. So my husband and I were here and it was, um, we, I pitched to like over 20 publishing imprints. She set up three full days. I like was hoarse at the end of the three days. That is exhausting. So exhausting. And, but I got snowed in. So she sent my book to a bidding war on a, on the Thursday. So yeah. I knew here in New York, snowed in at the Marlton hotel, jumping on the Marlton hotel bed oh that like, That's what is dream. happening? I just got a book deal. That's amazing. Yes. That's literally a New York dream. It's snowing. You're like yeah, yeah. in this hotel, you're with your husband and you have yeah. an effing cookbook deal. Now. I know. That's so exciting. So, so it was crazy. And then. How did you pick in the bidding war? Like, how did you know where to go? Because I was in a similar position and I, I like knew where I wanted to go, but then like I like liked the other place. To, like, it was it was a hard decision it's really hard. to make. It's really hard. And you know what? I remember that one of the imprint teams that I had met with like lowballed, and I was like really bummed. And yeah. then there were two imprints that were like bidding against each other, but they were in the same house. So I'm with Harper Collins, um, mm -hmm. William Morrow, my uh, editor is Cassie. And she is amazing. Like she Yay. is so detail oriented and really like um, she's just been in the industry for a really long time. And I was really impressed with her. And the other imprint was sort of like known for I think they published like Molly Sims books. They're sort of known okay. for like big personalities and celebrity names um, within the HarperCollins mm -hmm. family, too. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of like, that's a shiny penny. I want to go with that imprint. Yeah. And but 
I'm the help, you know, like I need, and I need someone who's going to be detail oriented around like flow, spelling, grammar, like who really cares about the quality of the book. Not, not, and I'm sure the other editor would have cared just as much yeah, or I would hope, but I know Cassie cares like so much and that's exactly what I needed. That's amazing. So Body Love came out and that is definitely when you like boomed, like your career, like really took off. I remember like what, cause I had met you right before Body Love was coming. We went to like that trampoline, but they didn't have the trampolines in the house. It was at Bari Studio. It closed yeah. down in Tribeca. Oh yeah. That was the first time I had met you. And then your book was coming out. You were like here to work on other things. And you like boomed like from that moment until now and like have not stopped. So yeah. Body Love came out. It was such a success. You went on it's, such a tour. I remember being like, this is so cool. Like this yeah. tour looks like so much fun. And is that really when your like client base started to grow a lot or like when, because, you know, seeing clients is like the main bulk my of bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It pays my bills. Yeah. So when did that really, like, how did you start to obtain like, like high celebrity profile clients that like really trusted you and like, you know, look to you for guidance and even sh- if you want to share some of the guidance, but you tell them, I'm sure everyone yeah. wants to know what like everyone's eating because yeah. everyone's nosy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I would say uh, I've been introduced to some A-list clients through people that work with them. So um, it's never the most glamorous story. Like I worked a party where Honest was being launched at Target. I love this story, by the way. Yeah, I I, uh, <laughs> I spent more money on my outfit, my hair, my makeup <laughs> because I was like, oh, I'm in a the event production company was actually the company that my aunt, friend Angela used to work for. So the, my friend Angela used to work for this oh, event cool. production company. And it's always like, you know, being out there, getting to know people, connecting, like being available, saying yes. And so it was the event production company my friend Angela used to work for. And we were at a party, um, like a, you know, just like a mixer thing where in the industry people were out and we ran into them and they were like, hey, we're doing this wellness party for the launch of Honest at Target. Like, would you want to be a like sort of like installation or a moment at the party where we could have like a little mini furniture vignette and you could like do mini health sessions with people and answer their questions? I was like, absolutely, you know? And, And then it was funny because I was sitting, like I got all ready. I wasn't paid to do this event. I, you know, took time, like, sort of like sneaking away from my corporate job to like Mm -hmm. go to this like midday party. And then I'm sitting in the furniture vignette and like first couple hours go by and like no one's coming by. There's not great signage. I'm like sitting by myself, all these like amazing, like really um, famous uh, bloggers like Cezanne and Mariana, like they're all like there. I don't know them at the time because I wasn't really like, I was following my friends on Instagram and I didn't know that this, (laughs) I didn't know about this world at all really. And so finally the, they come up to me, the event production team and she's like, why don't you go stand by, why don't you go stand by the, like the buffet and like tell people the nutrition in the food. And I was like, okay, sure. So I like walked over there and I was like, oh, you know, like leafy greens, high in vitamin K, vitamin C, like this is a great way to balance your bowl. If you're like looking for some protein, some fat, some fiber, like there's non-starchy veggies, you're going to feel full, like trying, cause they were, it was a build your own bowl bar. And I had like consulted with oh, the, like a dream bar. The, the caterer about like what to have available, you know, yeah. from like whole grains to leafy greens, to proteins, to like 
sauces and dips and, you know, fermented veggies, regular veggies. So fun because I love just like creating that menu. So they were like, come talk about the menu you created. Fine. I remember one girl looked up at me and I don't know um, who she was at the time. And she's like, are you with a caterer? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) And I was like, oh, we're okay. You know? And so I stood there for like another 20 minutes and then went back to my little like furniture vignette and sat down. The party was coming to a wrap and this um, girl came through who um, ended up being Jessica Alba's makeup artist and Lauren. And she sat down and was like, oh, why are you here? And I told her and she's like, I, you know, I deal with a couple things personally and I would love to like get your take on it. I gave her a few tips and then she emailed me and was like, can we do a real session? And I came to her house like a couple weeks later, like not even, it was like a real fast turnaround. Mm -hmm. And then like a week later, there was an email in my inbox. It's like, I'd love you to meet my soul sister, Jessica Alba. She really wants to meet with you. That's so amazing. And it's like such an organic way to like meet someone too. Yeah. Oh my God. And then when that happened, we were kind of like, well, maybe I'm onto something. Like maybe it's like, I really could be out there like helping so many people. Yeah. Well, at that time I had like my, you know, I was thinking about taking my business full time, but I was probably seeing like 15 to 20 people a week. So I was like already (laughs) seeing like really positive results from clients and trying to like hone in on like what my message was. Cause I really wanted it to be positive and attainable and like something that created consistency in the way that people ate and the way that I think about like everything out there from, you know, from a bulletproof coffee to a fat four smoothie to a kombucha to like intermittent fasting, cryotherapy. Like I think of all these things as tools. Like I don't think you need to marry your lifestyle or your diet. Like it's, it's, and you should have the flexibility to change when you want to, you know, without judgment. And that's really important to me. So I was just like trying to make it easy for people and you know, also educating them in that, like, sometimes when you're craving a brownie, well, it's like, it's not your fault. And we don't need to like white knuckle it and use willpower against it. Or like, you know, it's like really understanding what's happening in your body. I think education and understanding the science can really set people free and they can know what to do if they're trying to get to a certain goal. So just empowering people with knowledge is, is really always been my goal. Um, and it resonated with people. And is this when the Fab Four Smoothie was born? Is this when you birthed your first child? Um, So the Fab Four Smoothie was born with a client that was under eating and uh, modeling. And we weren't hitting body composition goals. Our agent and manager were really worried about like um, her inability to put muscle on. And um, just sort of some uh, orthorexic orthorexic tendencies, um, which in that industry is like rampant, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And a smoothie sort of feels like safe for some people. And so I wanted to get up her protein because I knew like one amino acids make neurotransmitters, they make hormones. So like if we're not getting enough protein and we're not putting on muscle mass, even when we're doing HIIT training in the gym, there's a, you know, there's a missing element Something there. On, yeah. So, and I know mood is like highly correlated to that as well. So I wanted to like just get her to a place where she was fueled and feeling balanced. So I came over to her house with like, a good protein powder, some fiber, some spinach, some lemons. Like I made it feel like really, like really healthy. Um, but I knew that I was taking her from probably, I probably doubled, doubled her calories in a day with it because okay. she was uh, not severely under eating, but like pretty bad. Yeah. And um, she started drinking it, feeling really good. We started getting some body composition goals and it really, it was like, I've always told people to like 
eat this way on their plate, but I've never given them like a quick fix tool. And it worked really well for her. And then I started just mentioning it in certain client meetings. Like, oh, I do like if you do want to make a smoothie, because then it was like really popular at the time. Everyone was going to juice bars and smoothie bars. Smoothies went on a was on a serious trend a few years ago. Yeah. For sure. And all I saw was like sugar. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. everyone's gonna be on this blood sugar roller coaster. They're gonna have so much insulin in their body. We're gonna have insulin resistance. We're gonna have PCOS. We're gonna have pre-diabetes. Like these are things related to elevated insulin levels in the yeah. body and like elevated glucose in the body that we aren't able to manage. And that like leads us, let, like leads you to disease. And I wanted to really make sure that wasn't happening. So I wanted people to have their cake and eat it too. Like you can make a smoothie, just like sort of use these parameters and make any flavor you want. And that really, you know, it sort of took out off on its own. And know? what is your favorite smoothie combination? Like the one smoothie that you would drink every single day? Oh, it's so that was a big question. Like, what is her favorite, favorite, favorite smoothie? What is yeah. Kelly's favorite? I think the tried. Uh, I was gonna say the tried and true is the spa smoothie because I drank that for almost two years, mm -hmm. and it's like bright, fresh, and refreshing. But I would just say I, I probably drink my OG the most, which is which is just a vanilla um, protein powder, avocado, chia seeds, and spinach. So easy. It's just easy. Like I think people get like really caught up in all the superfoods and like blue and green powders they need to be like adding to their <laughs> yes. smoothie and i'm like uh, and 75 adaptogens the and basics yeah the basics keep you full and satisfied and fueled and it again we can take things make things so difficult and overwhelming and i'm trying to make them make them accessible so that you can get consistent now last night when we were at your williams sonoma new jersey book tour someone was asking you about food combining yeah and that was another hot topic that people want to know your perspective and I really appreciated your response yeah. yesterday so I'd love for you to share kind of your outlook on food combining. Yeah, food combining is is a tool just like anything else and so when you when you have proteins and vegetables together and you are not adding starches or fruits to that and you're eating those on their own or in a different combination where you're having starches with things that don't slow down their digestion, you're going to have a little bit less fermentation. And so then people can have less bloating, potentially um, quicker digestion. And so for me, it's like, if you need that, if we're having an issue with bloating, or if we're having an issue with a really slow peristalsis, really slow digestion, then maybe that's an issue. But I haven't seen anything in the research that suggests that food combining causes weight loss. You know, or is that body what people are like thinking changes. it could do? Yeah, it's like I didn't even. I honest, I felt so naive because I'm not so like in the trenches in the nutrition space. Like I really like I make food with like whole ingredients and I like just hope people enjoy it. Like I don't get caught up in everything. And when I kept hearing like my thoughts on food combining, and I'm like, I have to Google what that is. I don't even know. Yeah. And then I feel like from my perspective, like I definitely come from a background of like a disordered approach to food, like especially back in college. And that would just make me afraid of like eating food in yeah. a certain way. Yeah. Um, and that was what I was like a little concerned about. And like I poop every day. Like yeah. sometimes I'm bloated. Most times I'm not. But like, yeah, if it ain't broken, that's the key. That's the key is like I really see we, we're going to these extremes and thinking that like food combining is a thing. And, and what we have to look at is like, you know, there are proteins that are full of fat, like salmon and 
grass-fed beef. And when we look back in our ancestral history, like people are eating like huge starchy tubers and proteins together. And people are eating, gathering fruits and like, you know, not that I'm like all about the paleolithic or paleo style diet, but there is some you know, to have these opinions when we can go back and look at ancestral tribes and see that like that wasn't the case and we were totally fine, I think negates what they're talking about. And I think you always want to look at where is it coming from? And, you know, you're tracing it back to like a colonic therapy website that's like, we see yeast and candida coming out when people are combining foods this way. And I'm like, first of all, hold the phone. When did we invent like, colonics where we're putting water up someone to flush everything out. And by the way, we all are laden with candida and yeast. It's this yeah. ecosystem of bacteria that is changing what as we eat. So yes, if you're if you're eating a bunch of sugar and you have slow digestion, you might have increased fermentation there where you're where that might be overfeeding that type of bacteria. But also just eating a little bit less starch and less sugar, that die-off is going to happen naturally. And I think it's really hard when people are super aggressive with their gut microbiomes, whether they're like dumping their, you know, a bunch of prebiotics in their smoothie and drinking a whole bunch of probiotics and then like doing colonics and taking antifungals. And it's like, whoa, like be careful. Like this is an ecosystem or antibiotics. Like this is an ecosystem that we want to we want to treat very gently. Like I talk like I talk about it being like the Great Barrier Reef. Like we don't <laughs> want to throw Miracle Grow in there and we don't yeah. want to strip it with chemicals. It's really delicate and it is our first barrier of defense. So let's let's know that like the slow pace and taking care of ourselves consistently is actually gonna yield the best results. Well, it's scary because like sometimes like a couple years ago, I was diagnosed with candida, like yeast overgrowth. Mm-hmm. And it was from a doctor and I'm not going to get into like the saga of it, but it didn't end very well in the relationship with the doctor. And he put me on this like crazy elimination diet. I was trying to get pregnant at the time and mm-hmm. like balance, quote, balance my hormones a little bit. And I was told like, oh, man, like strawberries and nightshades and like all of these things. And I never have had an allergy in my life. I can't digest soy very well, but like I have my own opinions on soy anyways. Mm-hmm. And so I cut like strawberries and raspberries and all these things. And then next thing you know, now if I eat strawberries, raspberries or like eggplant, hives, tomatoes, hives all over my body. And before that, I was like, fine. Like I would mm-hmm. be able to eat strawberry ice cream or like the press free strawberry and like it would be okay. I would have tomato sauce on pizza and then I like fucked with it. Yeah. And then now, you know, it's like, and like, I wish I knew that like everyone has a little bit of yeast and candida because I probably would have just slowed down on my banana consumption because yeah. I love bananas. Yeah. <laughs> and everything but not cut everything. Oh my gosh, I love bananas. It's real cute to see kids eat bananas. You're like, they're so big for their little mouth. I know. Well, now I give, <laughs> little monkeys. I, I give Ezra like a cold one to like, I don't, I mean, he doesn't have one tooth. He's going to be a year old. And oh, she's like, what a gummy bear. Every, oh my God. He has like literally not one morsel of a teeth, but I give it to him and he like occupies him. That's such a great um, Oh, I'm going to do that. Oh, it's so good. That anything cold, like avocado, because it takes them a while to like process it, like digest it a little or chew it, I should yeah. say. Um, but I know I'm so happy that you touched upon that because that was a big question. And then the other one that was like more nutritional focus was about like eating disorder clients. And do you see a lot like any women who do have eating disorders? And if you had tips for someone who has a binge eating disorder? Yeah, um, I have clients who have had orthorexia, anorexia, bulimia, multiple eating disorders, um, binge eating disorders. It's, um, I wouldn't say that it's my specialty. And I, um, 
but it ha because I don't, it's not the majority of my clients. There are yeah. people that have eating disorder are eating disorder specialists and like work in clinics. Um, but I will say from my personal experience and um, working with maybe I would say five to 10% of my practice being eat eating disorder clients that I like to help them free their opinions about food. Anytime someone comes into, into my practice and they have opinions about their food, like white rice is, brown rice is better than white rice, or this is why this is better than that. I like to give them the other side of the coin because I don't want these rules and opinions yeah. to be solidified in their brain and take away their flexibility to go eat out at a restaurant, to enjoy food. And I think when it comes to the binge eating disorder, like disordered eating where it's really like overeating, mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that happens late at night a lot of times. And then in the morning, they don't want to eat. And they don't want to eat and they try to starve and as they're probably as feeling they guilty can. from the night there's before there's so much guilt there's so much shame it's it's really it's really um you know those people that are really hard on themselves about it and then they try to quote unquote start over every day mm -hmm. and what is happening is it's a real pendulum swing from this very bingy behavior to a really restrictive behavior and the way that they're kind of atoning for those sins is by starving themselves and so it's almost like they're neutralizing that action and that's allowing them to continue that behavior. So in my practice, when someone has a binge eating disorder, they get up and they eat something. This is not an excuse that because it's, they're negating it. They're it's not like, the nutritious. They're, not like, they're, yeah. neut they're neutralizing that behavior by not eating. And so what it's happening is it's perpetuating that behavior. It's allowing them to continue to do that. They're yeah. not ever seeing the consequences of that behavior on their body because they're so out of balance. And so what we end up doing is really having them fuel before 11 a.m. at the latest that they have to show me that they're eating something healthful like a Fab Four egg veggie scramble, like yeah. uh, Fab Four smoothie. I don't care if they're eating lunch food at like 1030 in the morning, like Just a, eat. a salad with like poached eggs or chicken or whatever. Like show me that you're eating real food. And then what ends up happening is they're fueled. They're they're And when that it's less likely that binge thing happens later. And even if it does, it doesn't last as long as it does if someone doesn't eat all day long. And they're also probably just not as hungry at that time to like be intaking because not feeling as deprived from all day. Exactly. And so I will say that the light structure of the Fab Four really helps people with eating disorders because I'm looking for you to find a way to feel positive about what's mm -hmm. on your plate. Like what's your mini checklist of what your body does need? I don't care if you added a glass of wine and a brownie to that meal. Did you eat the fab for like, did you nourish your cells, your, your, you know, give your body the inputs that it needs so that yeah. you are fueled? Like, that's the most important thing for me, because when you start to focus on the positive, you crowd out the, the things that you, you maybe are processed, you crowd out the things that maybe like you're worried about eating too much of. And it just like perpetuates that, perpetuates that behavior because if you're proud of yourself for what you eat, you release dopamine. Mm -hmm. And when you release dopamine, you increase the chances that you're going to eat that way again versus the person who gets up from a restaurant or, a, you know, like made themselves food or had, you know, had a binge. And then they're like, I'm a horrible person. Not just like I ate bad. I am bad, which is even worse, right? Yeah. Like we want to, you are not the, f the food you eat. Like you are how you, you know, it does influence the way you behave. So it is important, but we really want to work on crowding out the negative, 
focusing on the positive, feeling proud about that so that we continue to create that consistency. It's scary because if you're like depriving yourself all day and then like I remember in college, I've definitely never spoken about this too because like, I'm not going like, to go on my Instagram stories and start talking about random things like this, but I had put on a lot of weight like end of freshman year into early sophomore year in college. And I was like, oh, I like knew I didn't like look like myself. So yeah. I started to try and like lose weight. So all day I would just not eat. And then at night, my friends and I would just smoke like massive amounts of weed. And then we go to Wawa and I would have like a meatball sub, a bag of peanut butter M&Ms. I would have mangoes. So I was, you know, yeah. a little healthy. Yeah. And then like a slut, like so much food. And the next day I would feel sick. And then like I didn't even want to eat. And then the next day at night, it would just keep, keep going, going, going. And then I finally was like, I'm not going to blame anyone, but I got a new roommate. And then that ended because, you know, sometimes yeah. the people you're surrounding it's yourselves true. with could like instigate a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Um, and I'm like fortunate that it lasted for just a few weeks until I was like, this isn't really going to go anywhere. Mm. But at the second I actually woke up, I would like go to the dining hall, have, I would always get an omelet and yeah. like some like whole wheat toast on the side. And like, I felt full. And then yeah. like, it just helped me kind of have a better approach to like eating overall. Yeah, you see how that could easily just become the times in which you eat. And yeah. like that's that is the time in which most people binge. It's that and triggered by emotional things. So it's always yeah. like if this is being triggered by an emotional thing, I think you need to sign up for therapy, start 100%. journaling, get yourself active so you can start to process these emotions, try breath work. Like it's different for every single one of my clients and what and how they process stress, emotion and like anything that they're dealing with that could be a trigger. Yeah. And that's something, you know, that's a really important piece of the puzzle. But if it's something where they're feeling like controlling food makes me feel like I'm controlling my life in the areas where I can't control my life, then they can over control during the day. And that binge thing happens at night. You have to be the one to break in and you break it by eating in the morning and you break it by eating in the morning, no matter how many times you binge at night. Mm -hmm. And you'll start to feel different and you'll start to see that like, oh, this is like, I I need to really prioritize the timing in which I'm eating. And that really helps like even just balancing out on a biochemical level. Yeah, I could not agree more. Um, now to transition a little bit into like fitness and working out, what are your favorite workouts that you like to do and why? I'm obsessed with yoga. Like you're like uh, certified, right? To teach yoga. Yeah. <laughs> when I started Be Well by Kelly in the beginning, I became a National Strength and Conditioning Association person certified personal trainer. Oh my gosh! I did the Equinox Academy. I did the American Yoga School. I had 200 hours. Do you like being a student? I taught. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I like learning. If it isn't obvious, uh, I taught Yoga Sculpt at Core Power for six months. I took that once and I really liked it. It's it was fun. a great class. Yeah, yeah, it's a good mix. Um, but what I noticed when I was teaching is I wasn't practicing as much and yeah and it was changing my relationship with yoga it was more becoming a job and less what I loved and so um yeah I have a couple studios in LA one used to be called Maha um but Yoga Hop too it's it literally it's like a vinyasa flow and they play like Britney Spears and Jay-Z and Beyonce oh God, I love that. and it's depending on the class 50 to 75 minutes and I'm drenched in sweat after is it a hot yoga uh no these are but it gets hot because it's mat to mat like a new york dance studio like people are just they walk in and they're like music's playing and they're hugging each oh, other so and nice. talking and it's yeah. like it's really fun um people know like some people have kids they've seen me like i was in there pregnant in october before bash was born literally like the month he was born like people were like oh my god you're gonna pop any minute you know yeah <laughs> i'm doing all the modifications but um that's my happy place okay um 
but I've gone through it all. Like, um, my sister-in-law has a reformer and she's like taught me Pilates. Um, and she's like amazing at it. And I really enjoyed that post bash. Um, I used to play soccer, so I do like, and Jordan Younger and I like trained for a marathon that I, oh, I remember that. yeah, with a Nutribullet, I actually got hurt. Um, old lady over here. Um, so I have old soccer injuries. Like I've had so- knee surgeries and stuff. Um, so it was probably like not a good idea for me to try and run an entire marathon. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but I, I finished a half. I did the Nike half marathon. So that was, that was cool. But yeah, my happy place is yoga. And then I did OTF for a while. Cause that's right, right in our neighborhood. Is that orange theory? theory my mom is obsessed with orange theory. She goes like four to five times a week. I had her on the podcast and she must've talked about orange theory like six times in the episode. She's, I, I love your mom. <laughs> yeah. And I actually like really enjoy the gym. Like it, one of the things I was thinking about doing is joining like Equinox or one of the gyms in our area, just because yeah. especially being a mom and like working from home and like working in my clients homes and sort of like, throughout this you know at a soho house or something like to be able to like go work out and shower and get a smoothie and then start my day without having to come home and like leave bash again because it's like pretty traumatic as they start getting older when you're like in and out the worst thing ever is like and i'm such a yard sale but i'll like take stuff with me to leave and then i'm like shoot i'll like run back up into my apartment i'm like Mm -hmm. hi and chris is like i know we just calmed him down yeah like he's you can't keep like coming in and out. And I remember one of like my mommy and me teachers was like, everyone like needs to get their ish together. Like if you're a mom and you're leaving your child, like it needs to be a clean break. Like you need to have your bag packed the night before. You need to have all your stuff. You can't yeah. go in and out the front door a million times. And I was like, do you realize I like on average go in and out my front door like two times every time I leave. So I'm working on that um, just because I just don't want his little heart to hurt, you know? Well, now I want to talk about, I want to transition into motherhood. Okay. And so did you, let's backtrack a little bit to pregnancy. Yeah. Um, This is a personal question, but did you conceive easily? Like what was your process like getting pregnant? Oh yeah. I look at Chris and get pregnant. Um, really? Yeah. So, but I don't always keep the baby. So before Bash was um, born, I was on a book tour for my first book and it was like August. Um, and Chris and I took a vacation in the middle. We went to Japan. Um, so people have been following me I remember a, a while. We were in Japan for like two weeks. Um, and I, on that trip, I was like, okay, like whatever. It's like halfway through my book tour. I won't show like, let's just like go for it. Mm-hmm. And we got pregnant our first try. Um, were you tracking your ovulation? And uh, you like, you yeah, I, okay. I use a, the Ovia app, okay. which is just like any of those ovulation trackers. I've always sort of known cervical mucus yeah. i'm really super into i'm really into the body if you didn't know no i like geek out over like the female hormone things as well yeah so i like knew we were in the money zone or i had figured if yeah. all of that was correct of like a couple months of tracking and yeah so we got pregnant right away like got home peed on the stick was like oh my god we're pregnant yeah i made the doctor's appointment went in so excited heard the heart rate and it was uh, slow beats, like under a hundred beats per minute, which babies' heart rates, when you hear them the first time, they're little butterflies. It's like, you know? Um, And I was like, oh my God. And my doctor, we were, Chris and I are like tears in our eyes. And she's like, I just, we need to talk about something. Like the chances of you miscarrying are really high. Like this is not a very strong heartbeat. And I left, I was so pissed. I was like, who tells someone that? 
who tells someone that? And I'm really glad she did because I'm a science person and I like expectations. Yeah. But it was heartbreaking, you know? And of course, like you, you're healthy for yourself and for your future children and you're trying your best. And the thing is, is like, I, you know, I was supposed to be due Memorial Day weekend and um, in 2018. And mm-hmm. I was pregnant with Bash at the time, but I remember thinking like, I would be a mom right now. Like it doesn't like, I don't not think about it that yeah. weekend and like who that, who that little angel would have been. And you don't ever really know why. Like, Mm-mm. you don't know why. It no, but I mean, like, I'm, I told you my age in the, <laughs> in the elevator. Like, I, I like be, almost dropped dead. I'm going to be like, 37 in July. And, um, and so, yeah, like 33% of uh, pregnancies over the age of 35 end in miscarriage. And, you know, whether that's genetic issues or, um, or not, it's, it's, the facts and so like i wasn't equipped with that knowledge and i never thought it was going to be no me no one ever thinks it's going to be them Mm -hmm. um doesn't matter how healthy you are doesn't matter how active you are like you cannot blame yourself for any of that and that's something that i talk to my clients about and so it's it was hard on us um and you know i had was going on the doctors i remember going on the doctors and they had given me um the medication to pass the baby and she was like don't take it because you might like basically bleed out on this show and you don't know how like you're gonna be cramping and all this stuff but I was like I'm like I'm like really in a in a bad place it's like early in the week I'm just gonna take it and my show I'm taping on Friday and my body didn't respond to it at all nothing happened and so I was like totally freaking out that like this was gonna happen on you know I was consumed by that and then you know I ended up having to have a DNC because my body just was like holding on oh my gosh um and it was it was definitely like a really hard, dark period for Chris and I. And it made going into Bash, my pregnancy with Bash, like we were very nervous. I didn't share that I was pregnant until halfway through. I, was I remember that. And then all of a sudden I had a baby. Yeah. Know? I remember like, what do you mean she's pregnant? And then like you were like clearly pregnant when yeah, you announced I was like, that you were pregnant. I was like pregnant, pregnant. Um, so how far after did you conceive Bash? So um, then we... We were cleared to try again in December. Okay. And we were, when I was ovulating, we were like at a Christmas party, staying at my friend's house down in on Balboa Island. Chris was dressed up as Buddy the <laughs> Elf. We were there for like- What a turn on. We were there for like the Balboa, like um, the like they do like a boat parade, which yeah. like all the boats are covered in Christmas lights and everyone like goes out sort of on the island and like watches the boats boat parade and really cute and fun but like chris is a good time be bad by chris is like he's a blast i saw i stalked his account as yeah. well <laughs> so he was like he was turning it up oh that night and i was like this isn't gonna happen <laughs> yeah i was like do i want do i want buddy the elf too oh i don't gosh. know if i do um i mean yeah it was a failure to launch that night so um we tried again in january and um and we got pregnant so i got pregnant the second month i tried and um and i was really scared i was gonna lose the baby you know i'm I'm a little bit older and that's something that i worry about um and so there are so many i think everyone has like their fertility journey or their delivery journey and or like they're you know brought to their knees in motherhood like the thing is is it's like you can look at all everyone's journeys and be like, I'm jealous or that's not fair. Or what I'm dealing with isn't like, it's such, it's never like the movies where you're just like, no. Oh my God, we looked at each other. We got pregnant. We had a healthy baby. We had a healthy pregnancy. We had a healthy delivery. It's yeah. like every single 
client, every single woman in my mommy and me, we've all had like really crazy stories from someone breaking their pelvis to someone like being like in an emergency C-section to colic to, you know, like I can list off a million There's things. There's always, always, always obstacles. Yeah. Like for us, like it took a while for us to con- to conceive. I tried naturally conceiving for a year, then worked with a fertility doctor, then switched fertility doctors, and then eventually did get pregnant on like our, technically our third round, but like fifth or sixth round of like somewhat of like hormones. Yeah. And like my pregnancy was seamless. And I was like the one telling the cashier at Whole Foods eight weeks pregnant that I'm pregnant. I'm like, yeah. I'm and like yeah they, uh, Jordan, my, my mom like Rachel you need to stop telling people like I want to tell everyone and my mom always said to me, you never know what's going to happen like you need to keep this to yourself yeah and even when I was 15 weeks pregnant she didn't want me telling anyone either but once you have that like and I really saddens me this like I know like moms who have lost their baby like after 20 weeks like you really yeah. just you don't know and like there's no such thing as like the perfect way to conceive the perfect pregnancy the po- perfect postpartum like ever, like I never thought I'd have a C-section and I had an emergency C-section. Like yeah. my water broke when I was turning 36 weeks. So I was technically 35 weeks pregnant when Ezra came. And mm-hmm. like, I couldn't have planned for that. No one thought that. So when you were pregnant, when it came to like eating and cravings, I remember see, like hearing and reading that like your cravings like were kind of fun. Yeah, I, I had some good correctly, ones. Right? I had some and good ones. I never had a pregnancy craving the entire time that I was pregnant. I had breastfeeding cravings. Really? Um, which we can talk about too. Yeah. But what were some of your pregnancy cravings? Yeah. Um. So I would say, like in the very beginning, in the first trimester, I was lucky. I wasn't sick, and um, I was basically continuing to eat the way that I always ate. Like I'd have a smoothie, or I'd have eggs, and I'd have um, like Fab Four style lunch and dinner. I wasn't really snacking that much. And then the second trimester, I had like a real surge of like hunger. And I grew up on Knutson cottage cheese with salt and pepper. What's a Knut? Knut, Do you know uh, Knutson cottage cheese? It's just like a, the no. pink jar of cottage cheese that like gets every oh, grocery store. Yes, yes, with the white. Yeah, right, okay. Yes, yeah, okay. it's like old school. Um, and there are like there's like Good Culture, which is like a yeah. grass fed version. Um, yeah. So I had like cravings for cottage cheese. I definitely was like up upping my fruit. I was really craving sugar. Um, and so yeah, I would say it was like mostly cottage cheese. I really liked mayonnaise which is like weird. So like chicken salad, egg salad, which I've always loved Primal Kitchen Mayo, like on things like in salad dressings or to make like a chicken or egg salad or curry chicken salad or whatever. But I would be really lazy. So I would like make a rotisserie chicken or like make chicken breast and like shred it and like literally just like dip it in mayo with oh salt my gosh, and pepper. That's amazing, <laughs> so um I know Chris is always like, all this like white food, it's weird. <laughs> like I know. I don't know what's happening. And I barely ate dairy, I would say, before I got pregnant. Yeah. Um, but I just yeah, I just like listened to my body. And then there was a period of time when so Be Bad by Chris really likes Burger Lounge and he likes the 50-50 fries and onion rings and he really likes Pizana and he gets like this carnivoro pizza. I want to go to Pizana so it's bad in It's so March. good. It's so good. Come out. You have to go. It's like they have a buckwheat, gluten-free buckwheat sprouted pizza that's like next level. It's the next level. It tastes like you're in Italy. Oh and gosh. so, um, you know, it's not that I, you know, like I ate pizza and I'm celiac. Like I'm gluten-free and like I probably had like one to two onion rings every time he got onion rings. I was just like, what is wrong with me? I'm like, I'm having these, you know, I'm like in my brain, I'm like, it's fried, it's gluten. I'm killing myself. No, I'm not. You know, I was like, whatever, let it go. 
So that's the thing too, is like, I, I've, I feel like the grandma, like I've been around a long time. I've done the diet thing. I've read all the books. I've read the studies. And now I'm like, just eat, honey. Yeah. Just eat, honey. Like try to keep it clean. And like, let's not beat, beat ourselves up because the stress is worse than whatever it is you put in your mouth. Yeah. No, that's going to resonate with so many people what you just said. Yeah. Because like, it's like the one having one chew on your rings is not going to kill you. Yeah. It's not going to like break. It's not going to do anything to you. Yeah. Which takes a lot a long time for a lot of people to like digest and process. Yeah. I don't mean digest physically. I mean like yeah. mentally digest. Yeah. So I just like, I just, I'm anti-perfectionism. Like I just, there's no such thing in my world. And like when I try to strive for those goals, I become rigid. It's very easy for people to be, to have orthorexic, orthorexic tendencies or especially knowing the science to like yeah. know what is the best option of everything. But it's really destructive when you try to be the best. It in is. that space it mentally will like destroy you because yeah. you also just like can't enjoy yourself like if you're like going out to dinner and you're so consumed with like well what can i order like what like what's healthy on this menu like dinner like it can really just like then you're not even enjoying the conversation of the people that you're, you're with present. you're like probably not even enjoying the food because you're not getting like what you want in like mm -hmm. a way so it it's it's hard and i think it's something that i like firmly believe that like women and i, I know a lot of men too but that someone like I strongly believe that women go through this at some point in their lives where like they get that like obsessive tendency of like I can only eat this way I like can't dabble into anything else and almost like restrictive yeah I've seen it with women in their 50s like and then who like haven't ever struggled so I always like hope that everyone finds their happy place I'm almost grateful that I like went through something like this in college and like post-college so like now I'm able to just like eat and breathe and it doesn't consume me like yeah. it once did but it could be destructive yeah, I mean, it. well, it's also for a lot of people for not having body composition issues and, you know, like yeah. it can be a trigger when something happens in life where we gain a little bit of weight and then they don't have the tools or the science or the understanding to know or like a basic structure of how to like have a healthy lifestyle mm -hmm. and they're looking for quick fixes because they're just like, yeah. this isn't me. This is, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. And I recognize that that is a really, really hard time in people's lives. So I'm trying to create these help people create a relationship with food that's sustainable for the long term so that they can feel good about it, always go back to it, lean on it and like clean it up without being overly restrictive. Yeah. Now when you were pregnant, did you enjoy like physically being pregnant? Like yes. how did you feel? Like, I would be pregnant every day for the rest of my life. It's I so loved great. it. I never felt more beautiful than when I was pregnant. It's so amazing. Yeah. Like I really did. I felt it's it's amazing when you're doing something for someone else too. Like what a beautiful feeling. Like yeah. from eating to moving to like going to sleep. Like I didn't push myself in the way that I do when I'm not pregnant, which is funny because like you said in early in the podcast, it feels like you launched your first book and like you just kept going. And it's like, no, I took a serious break. Like you wouldn't know it from the outside. So I'm yeah. happy you did, but I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. Like the September before Bash was born, I really pulled back and stopped seeing clients, um, which was a really nice break for me. Um, I even like slowed up, you know, uh, like I listened to my body. I wasn't, I'm, I, it wasn't ego driven yoga. I wasn't trying to like do crow pose like 10 months pregnant. I was like yeah. that girl who was like, and I'm using a block for my bridge and it feels really good. Like yeah. I really like, really like became like, I guess more graceful and just calmed my body down. And then we had a horrible delivery <laughs> and Bash was in the NICU for two weeks and I just didn't work for six months. Like I didn't see clients for three months. I started answering a few calls, three to six months. You didn't see clients at all during that time. No, I was like, 
like I thought I wasn't going to have a child. I thought yeah, I, I, you know, like, you were able to do that, though. Like, yeah, it was like, and I was, I mean, here's the deal. A lot of my, a lot of my clients who've been with me a long time, I consider friends. They came to visit bash. They you, would do you, are text you comfortable me. going and we don't have to into like why he was in the NICU and like, sure. Um, as much as you can. Like I know, yeah. because I, I don't always share everything, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've told this, with. I've told this story on another podcast um, in more detail, but basically I was two days shy of being 42 weeks. And my doctor at 40 weeks was like, let's induce you. And I was like, no, I, I've read all the baby books. Like this baby will come when he's ready mm-hmm. or he or she is ready. And I'm going to wait. So then I was 41 weeks and she's like, well, let's induce you. And I was like, no, she's like, we're, we're scheduling this. It's happening on Friday. And I was like, okay. And what was her reasoning for wanting to schedule it? It's just, just it, was it increases your chances of like wanting to needing to go to a C-section. Okay. And it just increases the chances that he's a bigger baby and have a hard to delivery, all of those things. And, you know, she just my all my stress tests were perfect. So she's like, OK, fine, Kelly. OK, she was doing it for me because I was adamantly like, I want this to all happen naturally. Yeah. Which, you know, it was a major learning experience for me. Um, I ended up getting like a cold and I was like, so I had like so much mucus. I was like blowing my nose. I couldn't breathe through my nose. So I'm like, how am I going to suck in air through my nose and push? Yeah. Like, this is so scary. So the Friday induction was pushed to Monday. I'm like, please give me the weekend to get better. Like, I just need to like rest and like clear this out. And so I woke up the Monday morning when I was going to be induced that night. And um, I was like, this is our last day. Let's like make breakfast. Chris was like making eggs and bacon and avocado. And all I wanted was like avocado on the toast. And I kind of felt funny. Like a half hour later, my contraction started. So I labored at home from 8.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. Oh, wow. Um, I got to the hospital. I was seven centimeters dilated. I had a bulging bag. They turned on the baby warmer. Doctors and nurses were like, you're having this baby tonight. It's amazing. You you did such good work at home. This is so amazing. You're having this baby tonight. Chills. Yeah. Um, and so then I'm laboring in the hotel, in the hotel room, <laughs> not here, <laughs> laboring in the hospital room and, uh, you know, not to be TMI, but like, it's like, there's blood running down my leg. Like they're like, you're transitioning. This is so great. We want to check you. Uh, and they check me and I'm still seven centimeters dilated, with a bulging back. And when they were checking me, my water broke. Now, I don't know if that was an intentional break. Um, to move things along by the nurse because I had basically been laboring for another two hours. Yeah. We're talking like it was like 10, 30, 11 at this time. And then I was in a lot of pain, you know, and I had done hypnobirthing to deal with, like to try and like have a completely natural birth. In hindsight, I should have probably done like the Bradley method or done something that like I really understood the transition stages of my body in a scientific way. But I had had a friend who did hypnobirthing and she had a beautiful labor and delivery and everything was fine. Um, so then I'm like shaking, convulsing, almost vomiting. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that's not going to pivot. I'm not the kind of person that thinks getting an epidural is bad. Like it was never because I thought getting an epidural was bad. It was because I just wanted to see if I could do this. And I felt like I did have, you know, a little bit of pressure living in LA, having a wellness brand that like I have this at home in the water, perfect birth or something like that. It scared me to have a, a a baby at home. I know people do it all the time and people are doing it for years and years and yeah, years. Centuries. Yeah, but it's it wouldn't have felt safe to Chris. And 
I was worried about that what if. And I'm thankful because I did have a what if. Like I ended up getting my epidural at like 12 midnight, one in the morning. It's a little fuzzy right now, but um, I was just in so much pain. And when they checked me again at that time, I hadn't progressed. Maybe an eight, they said. And I was like, oh my God, I had read it read a story of a girl who like got to seven centimeters, didn't transition and had a, a, a C-section like 12 or 14 hours after that point. And I was like, I don't want that. I need to calm my body. My doctor was like, you, you need to rest. Like pushing is the hardest part. It's like, okay. So I rested on the epidural the next morning. They checked me. I'm 10. They're like, okay, doctor's coming in. We're going to start pushing. Um, and I pushed for over three hours and he was coming down crooked which we think is why maybe it took a while for him to get down. Um, my doctor was basically hand manipulating his head to like turn him into yeah. the right position. Um, when I was done, I had red, the whites of my eyes were bloodshot. I had broken capillaries all over my entire face. And it was, he was born and laid on my chest. And it was the most amazing feeling of my entire life. And I looked at Chris and he looked like he was going to throw up. And then someone hit an alarm. There were 20 people in the room. And my doctor was like cutting the cord as fast as she could. And I'm like, what's wrong? Chris is like, is he okay? Is he okay? I'm like, I don't know. Like, um, I think he's going to be fine. Like, was he crying? No. And so they're like, we're trying not. What I found out hindsight is they're trying not to make him cry because um, there was meconium. And he had like pooed himself in stress inside of me. There's meconium on him and he was gray. Like he had an Apgar of zero and then an Apgar of one and then an Apgar of six. And a seven is like safe and six is transferred to a level four NICU. And I didn't know if it was boy or girl. I had to ask Chris. We had oh a boy God. or a girl. I forgot you didn't get the gender. He was put immediately on the warmer rolled out of our room. Chris was like, what do I do? I was like, you go with yeah, our baby, yeah, our son. Yeah. You go with our son like now. And he like got up and left and I bawled my eyes out for an hour and a half laying there being like, what, what's happening? Yeah. Um, being sewn up. And then I was wheeled to the NICU and mm -hmm. he was being prepared for transfer to CHLA. And I didn't know what was happening. No one really told me what was happening. They were like, oh, he had a hematoma on the back of his head. That's like a blood blister sort of yeah. a thing, like a big swelling area. We, we just need to like check that. And so I was like, okay, maybe that's the issue. No one told me that anyone predicted or thought that he had oxygen deprivation, which was really hard because Chris got to CHLA. His brother left work Im immediately, like drove to CHLA, got them a hotel room on that side of town. They basically were at the hospital all 24 hours. They went back to the hotel for like a shower for and two you hours. Even like go with him. Like that's... I stayed in Santa Monica Hospital. My sister slept on the bed in my room, and a nurse told showed me how to hand express to bring my milk in. I cried for twenty four hours straight, and Chris called me that night after like it was like nine or ten at night, and he had been like you have the morning rounds and the night rounds and the yeah. night shift around doctor really looked at him and gave him medical terms was like, um, we think your son might have, have HIE, which is oxygen deprivation. The outcomes of oxygen deprivation include cerebral palsy, brain damage, an inability to walk an inability to feed himself. Like 
literally the list of like the list of like everything that could scare, scare the shit out of a parent. Yeah. And and what we're going to need to do for him is we're going to need to put him on a cooling pad. So a cooling pad is an amazing technology where when someone has brain oxygen deprivation, your brain swells. It's an injury to the brain. So the first injury, injury is the oxygen deprivation. And the second injury is the brain swelling, which can cause more damage to the brain. So if they cool your body mm. um, below 98 degrees for 72 hours, that brain, that's like literally like it's putting ice on on a wound, right? It's it's killing, it's it's icing uh, inflammation, it's icing the, the injury. And so they ice the injury, they, they sedate the baby. So like I didn't take any chemicals, I didn't like drink, I ate as clean as humanly possible, minus a few onion rings. Like <laughs> I like I literally did the best I could humanly possible throughout my pregnancy. And he was being shot up with morphine. He was put on a cooling pad. He, I couldn't hold him or touch him for the first three days of, of life. He had a, a TPN tube, which is like a feeding tube that goes in through his artery. He was strapped down to his little bed. Like it was so traumatic. Uh, my sister is like, put me in the wheelchair in my hotel room. I remember being rolled out of St. John's, put in a car, driven home. Mind you, like, shouldn't be walking at this point if you. Yeah delivered no. a baby or even had a c-section like you're in so much pain and i was it was like it's like a dream to think about like being driven all the way to the east side of town to chla chris coming outside taking me up there and then like really seeing my child for the first time like really and he looked like he was in so much pain and he was so swollen and then like having that conversation with the doctors and literally like spending two hours to four hours in a hotel room, pumping every three hours to try and get my milk to come in, having a nurse coming into my, the room at, at the NICU and saying like, just so you know, this really traumatic births, like a lot of times the milk doesn't come in and the mom's like, so, you know, like it's just, they're very medical. And like, I know yeah. the doctors like give it to you straight and they give you the yeah. worst case scenario because they don't want you to get your hopes up. But it was just like, it ripped my entire heart out. And I was so worried about my son and it, you know, it was just like, it was a, it was a bit of a nightmare, you know? And at one point, one of the doctors pulled us aside and he was like, I was at St. John's because the way that CHLA works is they have doctors that do rounds at St. John's. So St. John's is a level two NICU, I think is what it is, like just community hospital. And I wanted that feel like less yeah. of a hospital, more of a hotel. And, but the thing is, is they transfer out to like a higher level NICU. And so he was like, I was there when your son was transferred and I saw him after his APGAR was taken and he seemed fine to me. So, you know, here's the deal. Like we won't know the state of your son's brain until after the cooling treatment when we do an MRI. And that was the first time I had had any type of like maybe good news. Maybe it isn't what we think it is going to be. And I'm the lucky one. Like he got his MRI and he from the way he was coming down in the hematoma, he had a brain bleed, which is like having his first concussion. He didn't have oxygen deprivation. He's a completely normal child. We left and it was like, what the hell just happened? And so much PTSD, so much therapy, mm -hmm. so much breath work. I still go to yoga now and like, I, like tears roll down my face in Savasana. Like I just, there's a lot I have to process for that. Um, but. I can't even imagine like 
I know that there are people that I left that NICU and people with other outcomes, you know, like it's life is so fragile. And so, so yeah, it informed the first six months of my life with Sebastian. It was just like, you know, it was really hard to leave him to work to, you know, I'm just really lucky that he is a magical angel and like healthy. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is like the why I literally was having chills. Like it's the scariest thing in the entire world because you do everything you can for like nine plus months and to like make sure that your child is like healthy and safe. And then the second thing come out into the universe, you have no control anymore. And that's like the scariest part because you have no idea. Like as was in the NICU as well, because he was coughing up blood. And like to see him, like he was four pounds, like to look at him in that little like plastic box. We didn't even bring our phone. Like I couldn't, I couldn't take a picture of him in there. I'm like, yeah. and, like that was our first four days with him was literally staring at him. And I'm just like, how does someone do this? And then to see the families around us that were going through like such more traumatic than like what we were, but like weeks, months. It's, yeah, it's it's traumatizing. And you just don't know because there's only so much that doctors could really predict when you're pregnant. Like everything looks good like you pass this test i felt like yeah. every month of pregnancy there was like a new test to pass in a way yeah. and like you cross off all these boxes and then you really just have no idea when they're get, when they're here yeah um and it's... bash also if i can remember correctly he had the pelmagio syphily or what ezra um had I flathead Ezra yeah. had flathead yeah um as well so we like took him to doctors i remember showing jordan that bash had the helmet too and i'm like they decorated it like, yeah. you could do it. like it yeah. could be really cute yeah and how old was he when he had gotten that it was around like i think it was like seven three months oh early it was pretty early like three or four months to like six months it was like an eight week or ten week thing and you know, it smells, I grew up playing soccer. It smells like a shin guard after a while. You gotta like wipe it out, wash your head. Like, but honestly, then he started walking and Chris was like, can we get that helmet back? I was like, I know, (laughs) you know, it's like, yeah, bring a, being a parent brings you to your knees. Like it really does. does. I'm like, good God. After our, after our labor and delivery, then like a full food allergy, eczema, finding out he's allergic to dogs and that we were basically poisoning him every time we visited our grandparents' oh, house. dogs too. Oh my gosh. Like that is like the major cause of the histamine levels in his body that then oh makes him God. allergic to like everything that cross reacts with ragweed. So it's like kid couldn't eat squash. He couldn't eat peaches. He couldn't eat cucumber until we stopped seeing dogs. Histamine levels dropped. And then he could eat those things. But like, it's like his his little tank was so full of histamine because he was so allergic to dogs. Then like adding things that had like minor triggers for him became like how strawberries are for you where yeah. they cause hives. It's like he was just hypersensitive. So yeah, from that, then the helmet, then like we're in Hawaii with our family and he's like learning to walk and we move, we move the coffee table and he finds a handle on a dresser. Like was standing there, falls over, slices open his eyebrow. He's gushing blood all over our hotel room in Maui. I'm bawling my eyes out. Chris looks like he's going to vomit. He really doesn't do that, the like blood stuff very well. (laughs) And, uh, you know, then we're like, yeah, it's a Maui urgent care getting stitches and not stitches. He ended up getting glue. And I'm like, I think everything makes you feel like the worst mom ever. (laughs) It's so hard. He's just like, my job is to protect you. And like, it, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's, it's humbling. It's a real learning experience. And my husband thinks I'm crazy because I still want three more. I mean, 
I know. <laughs> so I want three to four kids. And like when Ez was born, he had swallowed my blood when I had this. He was very breached in like my right rib cage. So yeah. I had I knew very early on I was going to have a C-section no matter what. Because yeah. There was no moving him and I wasn't comfortable with like the procedure to try and move him. Yeah. Because I was told like, what if the umbilical cords like wrapped around his neck and like, if he's there, he's there for a reason. Like it yeah. is what it is. And then he went to the NICU. Then he had failure to thrive where he didn't grow. Yeah. Then they told me that he might have a brain tumor in his head. Like every time he went to the doctor and he was colic for eight, eight over eight months, which is unheard of in colic land. Yeah. I was like, what did I do? Like, yeah. what did we do wrong? Like, it, it could always be worse is something I always tell myself. And there's always going to be obstacles. But, like, it is so hard. Mm -hmm. It is the hardest thing ever. And then on top of that, you nurse for um, over a year because his birthday is in October. Yeah. Him so, and Ezra are really close in age. Yeah. So he's um, 15 months October 16th. Uh, or, mm -hmm. sorry, um, it's January right now. He's 15 months January 15th. Or 16th. What day is it? January 16th. He's 15 months old. That's what I'm trying to say, <laughs> which is in two days. Yeah. Um. And I am like literally weaning right now. I'm like, my yeah, I, I got bowling balls How under my shirt right now. Weaning for? <laughs> I'm really bad at weaning. So <laughs> uh, it took me two full months. So, so I was down done. to one feed in November and then I was traveling a lot and I came home and he was real needy. We always say that Bash, um, uh, he, he has software upgrades. We're like, oh, he had a software upgrade last night where they wake <laughs> up and all of a sudden they know new things. And you're like, yes. How did you know? How What's do you the know? leap? They call it the leap yeah. or whatever, the Wonder Week app. I'm like, yeah. he's going through a leap. And I'm like, nope, no leap, but he's going through a leap. <laughs> yeah. they You just see it, you know? And so, and I, I don't want to call him needy, but like he's a baby. Of course he needs me, you know? And he just was like extra cuddly and wanted to nurse more. So I let him. And then, um, I was home a lot over the holidays in December and it was sort of like, he just kept ponying up to the bar and my breast milk increased. I went from one feed to like feeding him in the morning and at night. And then I was putting him down at our mammoth condo for naps. And I was like, whatever, a little sneaky snack. And then, <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm up to like two breakfast and dinner post dinner and like before a nap. And I'm like, I am the worst ever. Like I just, I, I remember eight or nine months being like, God, when is this going to be over? It's yes. so much work. And then passing through a year and then being like, oh, it's easy because I'm just not pumping. Like I was, I stopped pumping yeah. and then it was easier. And so, yeah. So then I got back down to two before this trip and I have a hand pump with me and I'm like, hand expressing hand pumping to like try and hurt so bad yeah they're pretty they're pretty rock solid and i'm a little bit worried about the dress i'm supposed to wear tonight to my party because oh i'm like gosh. it's for the a cup me <laughs> not for the my c cup like me literally whoopee cushions yeah, now like yeah. now i know why a lot of moms go back and get their boobs fixed i'm like this this is me after one baby and there's something i can't imagine yeah so i know i'm like well, I'll just get pregnant again. So, <laughs> that's you, the problem. That's why I want to wean. Return when you were at, so far. So it did in November when I got down to one. Okay, and then I literally was feeding him again, and so I had like a a real sad cycle in December where it was like a day and a half, and I'm like, okay. I'm messing with my hormones. I'm like yeah. literally like stopping this process. I need to like really take this seriously. So. The only reason why I'm weaning now, because I do think breastfeeding is easy, is because I have this whole book tour full of travel and I want to have a second baby. So I want a third. I want a fourth. Um, and I really need to get my cycle regulated to do that. So that's yeah. the plan. I would have done it for a very like I 
it was hard and I was miserable for a lot for a lot of the beginning. I would say the middle, like between like three to five months was like really challenging. But as soon as I stopped pumping, it was like so easy. When he started eating food, Ezra ate food very early at five months because yeah. he was so excuse me, so tiny. Yeah. And once he started eating food, it was like a game changer. Yeah. And that kid will eat anything. Like he's he was so never like, cute. Thank you. You have to get them on a plate. He's not coming to LA in March, or I would say we could there. I know. Flu season, you got to keep these kids I'm safe. I'm bring him for six hours on an airplane. I'm yeah. like, we just flew to Florida. He's been on like eight flights. I need a break. Yeah. I can't wait to fly to Florida, to California actually by myself. That'll be like the first like six hours. You're coming out for Expo West? Yeah. And, and for then your book the book tour, tour event on yeah. March 3rd, which I don't, this episode's airing around then. Cool. Um, but yeah, I'll be out there for Expo West. I'm shooting like a video thing with them. And then I figured I'll do the tour event. So That'll that be so fun. I'm so excited to celebrate. Thank you. I know. Oh. I can't wait to have you. Um, I, There are even more topics, but I think that this will be a three hour episode yeah. if I actually keep asking you questions. So I want to transition into my like fun fireball questions at okay. the end. Um, so the first one is, oh my God, we didn't talk about your book, your new book. So the book is called Body Lover Every Day. <laughs> it's been out for a few months. It's my second book. It like has archetypes. Speed. It talks about um, if you're how to eat the fab for if you're a girl on the go. So that includes like, what if you're picking a protein bar? If you're a mm-hmm. domestic goddess, you want to make everything from scratch. There's a coconut yogurt recipe in there for you. I saw that if you are 100% plant-based, there is um, a bunch of recipes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for you. How... My favorite sources of protein recipes like pad thai with shirataki noodles. I have a lot of fun in that chapter. My vegan burgers are 14 tries to make that one up. And it was it was worth yeah, worth the effort. Time. And then red carpet ready is like the tips and tricks I used with like Jennifer Garner to get ready for her peppermint movie and Emmy Rossum to get ready for her wedding. So um have you been doing death sides when you've been in New York? He said, yeah. So yeah. So I go to L <laughs> after <so> this. <laughs> yeah. um, well, thank you, everyone. Check it out. Yeah. I received the copy two days ago and I started like looking through it. So I'm only like halfway through at this point. Could I... You have so much like knowledge in there. I have to read a page like sometimes a few times to like really like make sure yeah. I'm, I'm absorbing the information. I'm used to being like I overdid this one. It's like an encyclopedia. Not it. I want to like <laughs> absorb all of the knowledge yeah. and like I'm sometimes feel like a hypocrite that I'm even coming out the book because I'm not the biggest reader in the world. Yeah. I'm a yeah. lot more like audio ish. Yeah. Um. Hence the podcast. Yeah. Um, but everyone check it out. I'm so excited. I'm gonna try the vegan burgers because I just was talking about yesterday on Instagram how I don't really enjoy any store bought veggie burgers but oh, i just think they're crap yeah so exactly. i i had to come out with i had to come out with something that a meat eater would like and i eat real burgers and mm. i crave and love my oh, spicy really vegan black bean burgers and i'm sure as would really like them too oh bash loves them yeah oh amazing um okay so the for the fun questions the first one is what is one wellnessy trend that you buy into intermittent fasting but what I, are your hours usually? I do it differently. Okay. I'm just like, wake up, wait a few hours, have breakfast at like nine or 10. And most importantly for me is eating dinner like a grandma. Be done at five. Don't eat after that. Sip on tea. Put yourself to bed early. That's going to get us twice the results than waiting till two or three in the afternoon to eat. Plus, you don't get that like bingy eating disorder tendency yeah. stuff. I, d- I wake up like I have to even like an hour or two of like being up or I'm like, I don't know, like. I just see my energy, I guess. Yeah, then that's great. So it's more about the, I'd much rather someone have an early dinner than worry about what time they're eating in the morning. Okay, good. Good to know. Um, What's one wellnessy trend that drives you crazy that you can't stand when people are like posting and talking about? Um, You know, 
The example I always give is celery juice. Yeah. And you touched upon it briefly yesterday. Yeah. Okay. So I just, you know, I am fine with people drinking celery juice. I don't think it's a magical elixir. Um, mm-hmm. It's just celery's always been healthy and hydrating yourself with electrolyte and um, uh, <laughs> electrolyte water, you know, is, is basically what it is. And it's, yeah. you know, that's it. I think the thing for me is... um is probably kombucha though. Like, I know, I know. I'm sitting next to a kombucha. I know. So here's the deal. I I have no problem with someone drinking your kombucha, but I don't like when people tell me they get their probiotics with their kombucha. I know I drink it because I like sugar. Yeah, yeah. Like (laughs) as long as people know what they're getting themselves into and know that there's like juice in in that fermented tea, I'm cool with it. Um, and the way that I have a kombucha is like, I'm having it when Chris is trying to watch a Lakers game and he's got an, a big IPA and I'm like, okay, get me a kombucha. Yeah. You know, that's fun. And I feel like, woo. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's something that like, let's not, let's not look at the whole picture. Let's always look at the whole picture when it comes to what we're eating and, and, and keep it real. Yeah. When it comes to kombucha, it's tough because I don't drink it. I actually forgot that that's what they toot about the probiotics. Yeah. I was like a binge diet soda drinker oh when i was in high school and college and like even a little post-grad so kombucha like weaned me off soda phenomenal and so i'm like you know what if i'm choosing between like us two sparkling beverages like yeah that's it and i try and pick the ones that like aren't fruity yeah so that way i'm not like having like the guava one looks beautiful at the yeah. grocery store but i pick like the ginger so i know it's not like totally that's great me. and i think that that was a perfect move because what you're doing is you're replacing before you remove and oh, I think yeah. like anytime someone has like a hardcore addiction to something, I like to replace it because it's easier to create a new habit than it is to remove something that you've like always, always, always wanted and had. Yeah. And then you don't have that same deep emotional connection to that next thing. And it's a little easier to like have a more balanced relationship with it. No, that's so true. When I was pregnant, I didn't have it in the first trimester and I was, I, I missed it. I, yeah. enjoy, I enjoyed it a lot. I'd had a lot of spicy lemonade instead with like the suja, like spicy, whatever. Uh, yeah. Um. Sorry, the next question. If you weren't if you weren't a nutritionist, what career path would you want to be? Ooh, I think like I'm, this is gonna be crazy. But um, when I was little, I wanted to be an actress. Or um, and my mom, like I remember being scouted at a Kiss FM concert, oh and gosh. some person was like, "Hey, this is my card. I'm an agent," and they do that in LA all the time. And I cried like the whole way home because my mom was like, "Absolutely not. Like, no, nope. You're gonna have to be like if you want to be in Hollywood." act, model, whatever, like that's going to happen after college. And like, you're going to have to do that on your own. Um, but n- now thinking about it, like I would have done, I probably in college, I would have decided to go pre-med or, and I would have been a functional MD or, okay. um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm touching the spaces or a motivational speaker. Like, oh, that would be something so nice. like that. My mom used to listen to Dr. Laura when I was growing up, okay. which is like, she's just like a therapist, I guess. Um, and my friends used to call me Dr. Kelly in junior high because I always used to be like, well, these are, this is like what's going wrong. And like, this is how you can help yourself oh gosh, or so whatever. Funny. It's so silly. But yeah, I, I mean, I like a lot of things. So I think I would have been happy in a number of different careers if they were touching wellness or motivation or exercise or health. Do you think that you would ever not want to work now that you have bash? I mean, Chris always says he'd be a great trust fund kid. Um, but I really have to have purpose. Like I really have to have purpose. Like I have to have my own little thing that I'm excited about and passionate about. I guess if I was a trust fund baby or like 
won the lottery or something, I would have a little bit more time for me um, to like cook a little bit more. I'd maybe like want to like have my own like wellness farm somewhere where I like host retreats and like do cooking classes and um, lectures and like bring in really cool people. And I mean, like a commune or something that would be really fun, (laughs) something like that. But yeah, I think I, I, I would like a little more time for my family knowing that I want to have like multiple children. And uh, my mom was a stay at home mom and that's such a sacrifice and such hard work. And, um, you know, we didn't have nannies growing up or anything like that. And, um, I loved it. My mom played Barbies with me for hours, you know, and that's really special. I think I'm confident to start my own career because my parents put so much love into me. Yeah. So I really want my children to feel that way, especially, um, you know, it's a hard world out there now. It is. It is. It's definitely a a struggle right now trying to, uh, be present and do do enough for both work and and Ezra. Yeah. Because these times or these moments are so short. I know. Um, I'm learning. Um, the next question is what was your go-to fast food order growing up and at what chain? Um, I was a total fast food junkie growing up because that's like where our parents took me. I'm an 80s baby. Um, but I would say Taco Bell, Taco Supremes. No one has said Taco Bell yet. <laughs> yeah. Taco Supremes. <laughs> and I a Sprite. Oh. oh my God, amazing. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for sharing everything and taking the time. And everyone, I hope you enjoyed this. And don't forget to buy both of Kelly's books, but I'm assuming most of you already have the first one, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. Thanks, Thanks for Kel. having me, Rachel. Rachel.